This is episode three, Foxtrot, of Free as in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler, and I'm Bradley Kuhn, and this is Free as in Freedom. So we're uh, we're, we're uh, recording across the Pacific and the continent tonight, or this morning for me. Yeah, it's a long distance recording. Yeah, so uh, so this is kind of I feel like I'm doing Linux Outlaws. Of course, they're all they're both in the UK now, uh, so they weren't they weren't doing it across many countries anymore. Uh, but now oh, we are. I didn't realize that Fab was in the UK. Yeah, he works for the H in the UK now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but the ones in Liverpool and ones in London, but still, they're. Uh, but still, they're still remote, That's much but. closer than we are now. That's correct. But uh, you have uh, one recording device, I have another, and we have a uh, back channel phone connection. So uh, all, all using uh, free software, except for your recording device, uh, which which is actually Conservancy's recording device that has uh, proprietary software on it. It's the same right. one we use to record the uh, the uh, the Fosdem talks. And uh, that leads us to the transition of having a, another Fosdem talk for people to hear. Yeah, we're slowly, we're much slower, more slowly getting through them than we had hoped. And I, for one, am really sorry about that. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, this, it's been difficult. We both have uh, jobs that we've talked about before and people know are, are demanding. And uh, they've taken both of us uh, to do various things. I would encourage people, again, to... Donate to the campaign uh, for the Software Freedom Conservancy for the nonprofit accounting software. We, we're getting closer and closer. Uh, so if people can get up there and donate, it, we're at the point now where only 300, at least when we record this, only 300 people need to give $100 and we'd be done. So we have more than 300 listeners. So, you know, folks, please. Boy, how do I not plug the GNOME privacy campaign? Well, you should. <laughs> you should <give laughs> well, I don't want to be like, you know, hey, everybody. They should give hundred dollars to us and hundred dollars to that, and if they can't afford hundred dollars to each, they could give fifty to each. Exactly. Most people who We're, are listening to us live in the industrialized world and have reasonably good jobs, comparatively to the people who have to take apart electronics on coasts of India and so forth. So, you can afford it, I think. Yeah, totally. So the give GNOME, how do they donate to the GNOME Privacy Campaign? <laughs> how do they donate to it? Yeah. Oh, gnome.org. Okay. There's a banner and, at the top. Yeah, if you go to sfconservancy slash campaign, or there's a there's a big uh, colorful campaign button you can click on to donate to Conservancy's campaign. So in this, this is a panel discussion we're about to hear. And it's a it's a it's a great panel discussion. I think. Uh, do you think so? There, there was uh, the, the audience. Uh, how, how, was it easy for you to hear the audience uh, questions and, and comments? Uh, I thought so. There were a couple of times when I wasn't sh sure. Did you not? Did you not listen to it again? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I listened put you to it again like a couple months ago. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was just curious if you were able to hear them. I heard them okay, but I was also on the panel, so I remembered it pretty well. I was also in the room. <laughs> yeah, but I actually was on the panel, so I was able to. Uh, so I, 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 I basically knew what everybody because uh, I had to think through what I was going to say at the time. So, so I, right, I could fill right. in any information that I wanted to from my memory. I thought it was a very lively panel. Yeah, there was uh, there was that uh, there's an interesting exchange folks will hear between uh, between uh, Fontana and an audience member, which uh, which was an interesting uh, interesting exchange, and, and people 
people like people afterwards said they liked it. I, I didn't. I thought we got a little bit too much down a rat hole, and and basically it was res- being responsive to to somebody in the audience who was who was trolling. And, and the problem was that uh, Fontana really wanted to cover that issue, and yeah. and kept going back to the kept referencing the guy which just made it all worse so folks will hear that i I think that was not the best part of the panel it was there was some some people liked it but i think that that detached from it a little bit but uh, hopefully folks will will enjoy it well without without any further ado maybe we should just uh, uh play the audio and we'll be back to talk about it a little bit after yep Okay, well, with that, thank you. Our last talk of the day will be our AGPL panel. Uh, and uh, Richard, I'll let you introduce everyone. Sure. Um, maybe I should actually let people introduce themselves. Um, and, and I would ask the panelists to maybe tailor their introductions uh, slightly, at least, to the topic at hand, which is the, so the topic of the talk is uh, the panel is the, uh, the AGPL, the GNU Affaro General Public License version 3 is the, the full name. Um, and it's a it is a uh, a license that uh, has has an importance that exceeds the degree to which it's been uh, adopted, I would say, and, and it has a certain special place in the in the kind of framework of, uh, of free software and open source licenses. Um, so, with that uh, introduction, um, Bradley, why don't you talk about yourself? You have a, you have a, a very unique background when it comes to the AGPL. I, I'm, I'm Bradley Kuhn, and I indeed have a special relationship with the Affair AGPL. Uh, I uh, so so my I've done various things in free software, but but the thing that I uh, feel is my claim to fame is that I came up with the idea of how to implement uh, the Affero Clause in a copyright license to uh, flag it on the modification. Originally behind the idea of a program that prints its own source code. The idea if your program was able to print its own source code, you couldn't remove that feature in future versions and modified versions had to do that. Uh, It's not based around the idea of a program printing its own source code anymore, but the basic concept is still there. Uh, I helped uh, draft the first Affero GPL, which was basically an authorized fork of GPL v2. Uh, I am 33 to 40% responsible for the Affero Clause not being in a GPL v2.2 that was floating around. I stupidly talked RMS out of releasing, uh, I was part of the team that talked RMS out of releasing GPL v2.2 with the Affero Clause in it. Uh, and as most people know, it was relegated to a separate license uh, called the Affero GPL during the v3 process. Uh, and that merged the GPL family back together from the fork. Uh, but I obviously wanted this to be in the GPLv3 clause. So it be a clause in GPLv3. And also, you're uh, you're on the board of the FSF. That's correct. Uh, president and ex- executive director of the Software Freedom yeah, Conservancy. Yeah, but this I'm here yeah, primarily know, as an FSF yeah, board member because kind of yeah, we don't have any AGPL projects in the conservancy, but FSF obviously is a proponent and a fundraiser for an AGPL project. You're going to hear about in a minute. Right. Um, so Eileen. Yes, Eileen Evans. I'm the vice president for open source at HP. I also um, have a role where I lead legal support for our cloud organizations as well. Uh, so a little bit um, in my role at HP, I have the opportunity to uh, lead our open source program office, open source strategy. Uh, so it involves you know, our internal compliance efforts, obviously, but also our external outreach and community engagement. So I sit on the OpenStack board, I found um, board of directors. 
uh, representing HP. Uh, we also recently upped our membership to the Linux Foundation to Platinum membership just a couple of months ago. So we are definitely increasing our open source community engagement um, across the board. Uh, this was a particular, um, I wanted to participate in this particular topic because we do get a lot of questions um, on AGPL. And it's not um, just internally, but we have a lot of, um, you know, a fair number, given number of uh, enterprise customers. And when we're working on deals with enterprise customers, this is a question that comes up a lot. So this is something that I've talked to um, Richard about, I've talked to Bradley about, and others um, in the community, I've talked to colleagues with other companies. So it's a, for me, it's a topic of um, uh, very extreme importance right now. Uh, my background is I was, I joined HP a couple of years ago. Uh, I joined actually from Oracle. I uh, moved to Oracle through its acquisition of Sun Microsystems, uh, where I was for 12 years. And at Sun, I had the opportunity to um, lead and support and manage a number of different open source uh, projects and communities, from Java to uh, Open Solaris. When we open sourced it, I had the opportunity to lead that, and um, I drafted CDDL. And I know you <laughs> have issues with that, Richard, but I drafted CDL at the time. We had some issues with MPL, and we were trying to, to solve those um, for the community and for some of our customers. Um, but nonetheless, so I've, had, I've been involved in open source for quite some time. I've involved when we acquired MySQL. I focused on the, um, the acquisition and integration of MySQL as well. So I've been involved in the open source for quite some time. I actually like CDDL. Thank you. <laughs> some say it's better than MPL 2.0. So, uh, Chris Weber. Yeah, so I'm Chris Weber. Uh, I I guess I started getting, I've been a free software activist for a long time. I guess I started getting involved in kind of the the licensing pedantry, uh, uh, I guess, through working at Creative Commons previously, which I've now left. And I'm now uh, actually, I guess, literally work for the internet because I was funded with a crowdfunding campaign we did with the Free Software Foundation to uh, um, pay for me to work full-time on GNU Media Goblin, which is uh, a kind of like a decentralized uh, uh, media hosting service, and it's under the AGPL, so that's the whole reason that um, I'm here because uh, of my project, because I know how to ask annoying licensing questions. So, so I, even though I'm a mere moderator, I'm going to introduce myself. You're not a mere moderator. No. Okay. Because, uh, <laughs> a moderator so, so, so I'm Richard, super moderator. Richard Fontana. I'm I'm Red Hat's open source lawyer. I guess I would say, and uh, I've been at Red Hat for five years. But before then, I uh, worked at the Software Freedom Law Center with um, with Bradley and Aaron. If Aaron is in the audience, and and others. Uh, oh, he's back there. Oh yeah. Um, I worked with uh, mainly with Evan Moglin and Richard Stallman on drafting the GPLv3 family, uh, so that included the Faro GPLv3. I was actually the person who recommended that the FSF draft its own authorized variant of GPLv3 that would have a Faro clause, because that was sort of a compromise solution between two very um, opposing camps during the um, various discussions around the drafting of GPLv3. And so I had a, a, a I guess a significant part in drafting the license, and so uh, it uh, it matters to me a lot for for that reason. And uh, I've also had to deal with um, you know the encountering the license and thinking about the license in my work at Red Hat as well. So um, why don't we start with uh, Bradley, since you you know you were present at the creation, as it were. Can you explain what the the um, policy basis was for coming up with that fork of GPLv2? Well, and, and it, that credit, the, the credit, the catalyst credit for creating the Faro GPL belongs pretty solely to a guy named Henry Poole, 
who was starting a business, uh, a web service business at the time, to help actually nonprofits fundraise, and he was building a platform to do that. And he pointed out at the time what a lot of people were, which at the time they called the application service provider ASP loophole of GPL. And I, I always hated that phrase uh, to, because I didn't see it as a loophole. It, GPL was not drafted in the web services era, so it, it's very difficult in a license drafting to see the future. Uh, it always tries to, but it usually doesn't do a, a great job at seeing the future. And so that's why GPLv2 didn't really deal with this uh, issue. And Henry basically said, uh, which many people were saying at the time, in the era, era, I'm sorry, the era of network services, the GPL and the BSD license have almost nothing different about them. Because GPL was centered around the idea of distribution and actually distributing a binary to someone. And most people who use a web service uh, don't receive a binary of the main part of the web service. It runs on the server. And he wanted a license, and that's why FSF authorized the fork uh, and was considering it for GPLv2 and GPLv3, ultimately ending up in a Faro uh, GPLv3. Uh, and, and so, so he really deserves, deserves that credit for, for, for sort of bringing this issue and saying the FSF must deal with this. It's very important. Uh, and I wish we'd dealt with it more. I wish we'd done. I wish FSF had done more historically with the Faro GPL and on this issue. It's tried, but I think I think we should have done more because it's such a huge issue now. So, and, and just to be clear about the, what you see the problem as is that uh, because binaries aren't distributed, um, you're not getting source code where you would be in a traditional GPL context. Right. I, I, my, my view is that all software that you use or interact with should be free software. I, I believe that's a moral right that people ought to have, that they, have, they should have an inalienable right to the source code of all their software. Many of the software programs that people use today are provided to you like Gmail as a network service. Uh, and it's actually in a mix of proprietary JavaScript that actually is distributed in the normal way and some server-side stuff. I think people have a moral right to have that. And for those who believe in that, as the, the, for example, the GNU Media Project, uh, GNU Media Goblin Project does, they should have a license that requires this in the copyleft sense, that exactly what copyleft is designed for, to make sure that as the software propagates through the world, the freedoms are defended. So, um, so Eileen, the, uh, before AGPLv3 existed, and when you were at Sun, there was, there was certainly a lot of talk about the ASP loophole, and you were involved deeply in, in open source issues. So you must have been aware of that issue being you know, relevant at that time. Was that something that Sun um, developers were, were thinking about, or, or um, even Sun business people, Sun lawyers? I, I think they were. I mean, absolutely. I think Sun was very proactive in open source. And I, I mean, there were things that Sun did well, and there were things that we learned from clearly. I mean, you know, taking a step back when we open sourced Java, the, you know, the first time where we tried to open source it under um, SCSL. At, at the time, you know, back in the late 90s, we believed we were open sourcing it. But, and again, we were trying to get ahead of some of these things, and we were definitely thinking about them not coming up with solutions, but thinking of them and trying to be more proactive. And we were heavily involved in the GPLv3 drafting process. And so at that time, I think it was something that was front of mind. And we were also seeing where the future was going with cloud and thinking, you know, this would also be, you know, very applicable in that space as well. And, and at HP, where that's where we're seeing it comes up as well, because given such a, a huge emphasis on cloud computing across the industry, we are seeing this come up more and more again. and not only internally, but again, as we interact with enterprise customers and as we interact, I interact with my peers and colleagues from other companies, this seems to be, you know, just top of mind um, by, by so many right now. And, and 
Chris, this is maybe in a, in a way jumping ahead chronologically, or maybe not, I'm not sure, but, but when did you first become aware of AGPL as a kind of policy choice for free software developers and um, was it something that you, you were always, as soon as you heard about it, you were always, that it always appealed to you? Um, well, I think that I started to become aware of issues around kind of the proprietization of software by route of doing it via network services um, in the kind of mid-2000s, uh, which is slightly, bef like I started to become concerned about it slightly before the Faro General Public License uh, V3 was, I think, announced. Um, and uh, um, at that time, I wasn't really like a developer on any serious free software projects, but I, I, I was really interested in it. So I, I was aware of it for quite some time. Uh, and at the time that we ended up deciding to create uh, uh, that, that we started GNU Media Goblin, uh, I thought that the AGPL was kind of the logical choice um, because um, I am a big fan of copyleft and of getting and having uh, and the kind of requirements that it, it provides. And also, um, and I'll also admit that I think that there is a certain amount of, um, at that time, there was a lot of discussion that was happening with autonomo.us and stuff like that and, and kind of about, uh, um, and there was a lot of excitement, and it seemed like a lot of that excitement in the community, the, the AGPL was what almost felt like the logical choice. Um, I mean, Evan Prodromo's here in the audience. The, I, you know, Datasnet was under the AGPL, and like it just seemed like, you know, this is, this is what we should do. So, Actually, Bradley, can you briefly explain what autonomo.us is or was? It was. So it was an initiative uh, that the FSF uh, was kind of the catalyst behind and uh, helped organize to, to try and, and study the question of what it meant to have network services freedom. And, and I think if you read actually uh, my colleague Richard Stallman's writings on network services, he and I disagree actually about some of the details of when I think uh, network services are harmful. He actually is probably uh, like less radical than I am in some sense, because he, he sort of believes there are places where it, you don't really need the source code to a network service you use, for example. Uh, but Autonomous was sort of designed as a committee that, that would explore the question and sort of come up with recommendations about what projects ought to do in addition to licensing. The Fair GPL already existed at the time, uh, but, but come up with suggestions in addition to licensing that the, pro the, the and it sort of came up with these ideas uh, that Evan really ran with and, and uh, uh, Chris is running with. Uh, to talk about uh, federated services that are connected and you can move your data and you can move yourself uh, to your own instance of things because that's important for software freedom to be able to install your own version and be connected to the rest of your, say, social network if it's a social network. Right, so autom autonomous was actually, it was the concerns of autonomous were broader than mere licensing, but AGPL was a key part of it. And on that committee, I was, I was obsessed with the fact that the, the, the Afero GPL, maybe naively, that Afero GPL licensing was, was a central part of the solution. Um, I may have been wrong about that. I'm not sure, but I, but I think it is an. I still do believe it is an important component to have a copy left that thinks toward this software freedom beca issue. Because I, I came from this from the thinking about this question as soon as Henry sort of began advocating for this at FSF. My big fear became that people, as the internet became ubiquitous, people would say, oh, well, I'll take GCC, I'll modify it on my server, I'll add a bunch of optimizations, and then people will just compile by connecting to the network. If the network's fast enough, you won't notice, and all the optimizations can be proprietary because you're talking to GCC over the network. 
Now that was naive because I had no idea that Apple and Qualcomm were just going to fund a BSD uh, replacement for for GCC to try and kill GCC. But uh, <laughs> but but that was the kind of thing I was worried about: turning everything into a network service such that users don't have any of their own programs. So um, so so Chris, is it? It's fair to say that autonoma, autonomous is uh, is basically dead as, as an initiative, and we were just talking about not reviving it in the hallway. Actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I'll actually sort of, sort of give my own view. I mean, I, it's a so, question, Richard. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the biggest threat? Because I was at the open source think tank in Napa last year, and <coughs> previous years. GPL was good, GPL was good, and in the open source think tank last year, they had Nancy Reagan just say no to the GPL. And, and, and I'm, I'm an open source developer with AGPL. HP is one of my, my largest customers. Um, and I was like isolated. We were like three people, three, four people who supported the GPL against the Apache slavery license. <laughs> Isn't that a big threat that the large corporations will, will, will provide alternatives to the I think I think this about yes. I, I actually think that actually this this somehow that this actually does tie in with the question that you're talking about with the autonomous be uh, well first of all I don't think that um, it's absolutely critical that something be under the AGPL. Like if it's free software and it actually gets things done, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, ex I'm just excited to have network services in some sort of way, but I actually think that AGPL is a really useful part of this solution. And I think the, the kind of, autonomous kind of did die in a sense that like there's a lot of excitement, there was a lot of enthusiasm, um, and it, it felt at that time like, yeah, we're all gonna get geared up we're going to like solve all these like network service issues, and 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 we we haven't really seen that actually play out in a lot of ways. I think um, I think that uh, um, there haven't been as many like uh, initiatives to do things. There haven't been at least we don't see a lot of people actually doing their things on network services that are free software, um, and I think that part of the reason why this hasn't happened is, well, we haven't managed to keep up a lot of the excitement and momentum behind autonomous and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think that it's also true that um, one of the reasons for this is that there's this kind of uh, I, attitude that's, that's kind of developed. There's a, an article that, that one of the GitHub developers put out that's like, release everything but your secret sauce. You know, like release everything as in, in their own words, open source, and, except for your secret sauce. Um, and uh, and you know, in the in kind of also the same time that I was that the AGPL was coming out, and I was thinking about a lot of these things, was also around the same time that a lot of kind of the new modern web frameworks were rolling out, like Django and and uh, Ruby on Rails and stuff like that, and and gaining in popularity. And at that same time, there was also kind of a a large, I think, um, pushback against against copyleft. Um, and uh, and you, a number of the big leaders on those projects, you know, were kind of had a pushback against copyleft. Uh, uh, famously, uh, David DHH, I can never remember his full name, or uh, but uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, um, the of of Rails is uh, you know not is not a fan of copyleft. Same with uh, um, Jacob Kaplan Moss of Django is very visibly uh, vocally anti Django, uh, anti AGPL, not anti his own project. Um, yeah, but uh, but I think that and and that's had a lot of effect. Um, but one of the interesting aspects of this, I think, is that 
you, you're worth seeing actually more free software being released around web service, uh, around web development stuff than ever before in some ways, but it's actually being released in this kind of um, everything but your secret sauce way, right? Well, I mean, open stack's kind of an example of that. Oh, it's right. a Apache yes. license with it lots of proprietary forks. But, but the reason for the... For including the, HP's proprietary fork. Well, <laughs> but I think the reason for Apache, though, if you you talk to the folks who contributed that, were XBase and, mm -hmm. and the government, it's, it was largely done to gain adoption. In other words, there was this consensus building at that time that, you know, in order to gain adoption, the widespread adoption, you need to do Apache. And there was also, the, I know you don't agree with this, but statistically, I think there was, they were reading those statistics and seeing that, you know, more and more projects are going the Apache route and kind of looking behind that in the thought that you can actually build a vibrant community with a permissive license. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, only I, only, yeah, I only disagree with the second part. The first okay. part, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. It's yes. always been, when you look at the permissive to copy left spectrum, yes. it's always been a spectrum that also maps to adoption versus software freedom. Yes. And, and a lot of people in the web services space are making that decision. And the other point I want to make about that is if you put like a Faro here and GPL here and permissive here, in web services space, this whole part collapses because GPL and Apache are basically the same in web services space. So you either yes, have a Faro or everything right. else. You're well, right, if you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. I, I see in the simplistic yeah. way of just looking at it from that point, because the distribution piece, you're right. right. Yes. Right. Yeah, if, if we broaden this this term web, uh, whatever term you just used. Yeah, website, I, I used a term poorly, probably, <laughs> but go ahead. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned OpenStack, because uh, I gave a talk at, uh, Eileen invited me to talk at the um, OpenStack Summit last fall, and I gave a talk about um, how, uh, why I thought OpenStack was, was an interesting project, uh, sort of post-2007 uh, project, given the, all the things that have happened historically in free software and open source since then. And, you know, looking back at the origins of OpenStack, um, OpenStack was partly a reaction against the, um, the open core business model of eucalyptus. At the Absolutely, time. Yeah. yes, and, because they, and they were directly so the, so the targeting yeah, that. The yes. choice of the Apache license yes. was actually a, 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 a statement, a political statement, if you will, yeah, it was. Uh, against the the way that GPLv3 right. was being used by Martin Mikos. Yes. And so, you know, because we're talking about. Because he did the same thing with MySQL, yeah. with GPLv2, but also mm -hmm. asserting on the website you couldn't. I mean, this is pre Sun's acquisition of MySQL, but he asserted that if you wanted to use it for commercial purposes, you needed to. I mean, at least there was that insinuation that you needed to then pay for the license. Right, and, and so, so it may sound like we're, we're kind of getting a yeah, little right. off topic, but we're actually not because right. the, uh, the the thing that I see, and I, I don't, I suspect no one on this panel will disagree with me, but if you do, please say so. I see uh, post-2007, there was very little adoption of AGPL by what I think of as pure uh, community projects. Um, much of the, the use of AGPL I have encountered in my time at Red Hat has been used by um, basically proprietary software companies or proprietary uh, network service provider companies, that, that sort of thing, proprietary SaaS companies, where the uh, basically they will put a community edition under the AGPL. So this is a variant of the, the model that Eucalyptus had in, at, at that time. I guess it's a little different now, uh, where Eucalyptus was using the GPL. So. Um, that much of the use of AGPL has been, you know, in this proprietary, what Bradley calls proprietary relicensing, what, what some of us think of as dual licensing or open core. And so I'm wondering if uh, the people on the panel can think... There's a question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bradley is going to hate me, but can I share my reason why I switched to the AGPL? Uh, yes, can I actually ask what yeah. project you're talking about? I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> now let me point out that iText is iText is banned from Fedora and JBoss because you're not using the AGPL. 
you're adding a restriction on, on AGPL that's illegitimate. What's the restriction? A watermark requirement. So that is not, yeah, you are, you're actually part of the problem. Yeah, and, 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 and the thing is, is let, me, let, me, let me elaborate on the reason why I changed. So iText was initially released under the LGPL in 2000, and then a couple of years later I added the MPL because uh, the industry didn't like the LGPL, so they wanted the MPL because it was uh, more understandable for so, lawyers. So, so, so it was MPL, LGPL. And I thought, no money, no worries. Since you don't actually use the AGPL for your software, I'm not. I'm going to cut you off. So, <laughs> well, but so, so what? I, I just want to, in response to Richard's point about proprietary licensing, I, I mentioned this morning one thing that, that not much keeps me up at night because I feel like I'm doing the right thing for the world. But this is yet another thing that keeps me up at night: the fact that I helped create a license, the Affair GPL that's primarily used in this basically corrupt business model of trying to trick people. And I think when I hear a lot of, like Eileen, uh, Eileen, sorry, Eileen has a lot of concerns about the text of AGPL and making sure that you can comply correctly. And I guess, she's, Eileen's never told me this, but my guess is, and she probably can't tell us because it's probably NDA, but she probably runs into these kinds of companies who are using the Affair GPL, which means from, I would bet, from HP's perspective, you have to be really careful because they're trying to trick you into violating the license so they can force you to buy a proprietary license. That's what well, proprietary so, license so is there, about. There, and that's a corrupt use of Affair GPL. There's two variants. One is, one is that, uh, Mr. La I don't know, actually know how to pronounce your... Luigi. Uh, what you do is actually, uh, you, you didn't mention that you have a proprietary uh, business model. Uh, so you you require, uh, as I as I recall, you require users to put this watermark. Uh, it's not the watermark, and we changed after we had a mail discussion. Uh, we had a lawyer look at it, and he changed the the wording. So according to the IP lawyer, it's no. It's still it's still it's still illegitimate it's still illegitimate and still banned from J Boss and Fedora <laughs> and, and okay. um, So this is this is a prop this is a big problem. You, you've you've misused this license that I helped draft and that Bradley helped draft, and the other the other kind of what I think of as a misuse or an unintended use is the more standard. Uh, uh, and th this is why Chris and Evan are my heroes because they're two projects using the Affair GPL as uh, basically towards drafters intent. Right. And so the we have questions that we get into, you know, yeah. to, to follow up your point. The questions we get into are in some ways academic in the sense that you know when I'm working with other companies and they have questions about it, um, my point is to try to educate them and explain what it means. <coughs> However, there's there's some, we've talked about this, Richard. There's some ambiguity which causes concern. It's really around the modification of what you know what that means. And I, again, I find it. Sometimes I get involved with these discussions and education um, sessions with lawyers who are, who are fairly savvy in open source, and sometimes it's enterprise customers who don't have a whole lot of open source experience. So if they're looking at the strict, the strict contractual um, document, they're looking at this and trying to understand exactly what it means and so that they can comply with it. And again, it's or I'm dealing with sometimes with customers and, and companies. I know I've talked to some peers and colleagues out there with other companies, and there are companies out there who have bans on AGPL. So I, that's something that I've encountered as well. Yeah, so that's sort of a separate issue because that's why I had the text up here yes, because because, of this. because <laughs> this is an uh, uh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah ahead, so, so well, I think I think actually we're starting to move over to the concerns about like you know, like the the company's concerns of the AGPL and like whether or not things are adopting. But I think that there's one thing I want to get back to, which is related to the OpenStack and et cetera issue of things, which was the I think that there's an important point that should be. That, that I've observed is that I think one of the reasons we haven't seen that much AGPL adoption um, is, is also because we still aren't seeing many applications releasing their end product of things. 
like most of the projects that we see, even though we have a large, we have a large amount of web-related uh, software being released, most of that software being released is actually stuff that's infrastructure. Frameworks, it's, it's, libraries. Yes. Frameworks, yes, exactly. libraries, OpenStack is mostly is something exactly used to people's yeah. Right. Right. Yes. But not many people are actually mm -hmm. releasing web applications. Um, and, and I think that this is an important point because on, on like, you know, the pl primary place where GPL is used, even on someone's own server, like on a desktop or et cetera, um, we see tons of GPL adoption as in terms of library, as in terms of applications, but not much as in terms of libraries. Now, and, and I'm not going to get into the Los Angeles general public license, <laughs> LA GPL thing, but the, the, uh, but the, the, but still, I think that that's, that's an important distinction. And, and, and part of that might actually be, um, related to that there's just not enough momentum that we have at the moment towards getting people excited about building those types of things right now. But but anyway, I, I, I wanted to return yeah. to that so before we move Actually, forward. I mean, I, I kind of have a question for you because you, sure. cause you're, you're talking about how, uh, what does modify mean? And it's, see, the weird thing is it sounds to me like the question I always get about GPL is, what is a derivative work? And my answer always is, well, it's whatever copyright law determines it, and obviously it should go right. as far as it goes. Look at the uh, definition. But it says it, it's based around modify. I mean, Eileen even said the modify is the issue, but modify is the word we get from the copyright But statute. it says modify, and then your modified version must, you know. Yeah. So, I, so, the, so the questions we get around this language, now one of the things that we talked about in our, our prep call, which I think was it was really important as well, is we talked about the fact that you know, in general, we look at GPL v2, and if we if we go all go back and you know 10, 15 years ago, we had a lot of questions about GPL v2 at the time, and what what did that mean, and what is it you know what did it mean to distribute? And these questions came up in that context. I think part of the reason we ha that I think I'm seeing more questions right now are because there aren't as many projects under HGPL V2 yet. So we're not seeing as many uh, V3. We're not seeing as many um, sort of use cases and test cases. And, and there's sometimes, there's that level of comfort when you have much more significant use. And you sort of know what it means. You've got a community. And the other thing is, you know, there's, uh, we talked about FAQs. There's some FAQs on uh, the website, FSF website, around certain aspects of this. And maybe what we could do is, you know, enhance those and increase, you know, add some things around modification, what have you. But again, I think part of it is once we have more use, that will start to flesh out as well, and there'll be more comfort. But it takes time. But I think it would have to be um, use by by uh, other than the kind of use we've uh, yes. often been seeing, yes. which is uh, I mean, uh, Bruno. I, I'm a <laughs> I think of you as an example of this as as a problem where we see um, the, the notion that preservation of a, of a watermark uh, that that as an additional condition on AGPL. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, that that can be an, a, a legitimate way that AGPL can be used, or, or um, you know, there there may be other companies that are using AGPL to promote sales of proprietary licenses, right. where yeah, they have an incentive to to, to kind of yeah. exaggerate. Yeah. Since there's this yeah. absence of um, community interpretive consensus, mm -hmm. there is an incentive for these commercial entities mm -hmm. that are really motivated to to sell proprietary licenses to kind of have more restrictive right. I, I'll slightly, I'll what slightly the belabor business model behind the HPL or there is no business model well I we, well I basically basically the business model of free software is to make sure all your customers have equal software freedom and if your goal is to use a license to catch them in a violation and force them to buy a proprietary license or if you're developing a, a forked proprietary version that's not a, a free software business model and the fact that copyleft helps those business models promulgate, that, that troubles me. And the fact that in Faro GPL's default use is to promulgate those business models, I think it confuses the issue completely. Because if, if all the projects were just GNU Media Goblin-like, 
we'd have we'd be having a very different discussion. We'd be having a much similar discussion that we had or, in the GPL two days. Or, or, or if the business models and the only business business model that works for you as a developer is become an employee. And that's the only business model that works if you if you want to write that's HPL stuff. All right, uh, Chris. Chris is a is a is a living counterexample of that. Well, I I, I am yeah. Well, I'm I'm an employee of the internet since I'm crowdfunded. Well, yeah, that's, but, that's but, a joke. And but, the thing but, is, is you, you're being funded to work on something. But I am, that gets I, am I mean, I, I do think there's. I actually think there's a number of ways that you can make uh, that you can fund free software um, for network services. Uh, one of them, uh, one of them is. Uh, um, you know, running hosted instances of things. One of them, which you know, maybe is, but there's another one of them is uh, um, doing things through grant work or through through uh, crowdfunding. I mean, there's there's uh, there's uh, I think that there's other there's other funding and, options. And healthy but volunteer contribution, which is central. I think Unimiagam has a lot has volunteers. Well, we, we actually we have a very we have a very strong uh, volunteer uh, volunteer base. I actually think that you know, and maybe maybe at at, at this point, you know. One thing we should be saying here is if this is an issue that concerns you, a great way to deal with this is get directly involved with the project and help develop, um, like if, if you're concerned about this, help grow the base of strong AGPL projects. Um, the, I, I actually think one of the things we said on the call, the call when we were talking about this was about you know the difference between like GPLv2 adoption. Um, there's a lot of concerns that are raised about the AGPL, and there are actually some concerns that you know I've pestered you and the FSF and yeah. plenty of people about. Um, and, I, and there are things that I actually I'd like to discuss more, um, but I think that that uh, a lot of con there there might even be some issues that like maybe would be helped with better exceptions or et cetera. But but a lot of adoption is probably not just based on whether or not um, the license is, is entirely perfect, because you know as you've yeah. given talks before about GPLv2, incredibly popular license, right? Yeah, but, the, it's, but it, it's not. But, but it's, it's not yeah. a perfect license. It's, it's it's yeah. It's I mean it's 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 it has a lot of flaws, but but it was popular because it because developers reacted to it. Developers wanted to choose it, and developers as volunteers and and for their for their side projects, they aren't choosing a Faro GPL, and so we we sort of don't have that situation. I'm I'm committed to writing the lesser Faro GPL. I think it's a license we need. Uh, just like we need the lesser GPL, but I don't think going back and trying to fix every. I agree. I agree with you, Eileen, completely. There's probably bugs in that language. It's it's probably not perfect. But but I haven't been. I haven't seen a compelling case that if we just fix this license, there would be tons more developers writing a fair GPL software. And, and without that case, I'm going to focus on so, something right, no, like writing right. a lesser AGPL. To, to to bring this back to what we were talking about before, it is. Is it that there the developers who would be? I mean, I guess Chris, you kind of answered this. The developers who would be working on AGPL applications are instead working on proprietary web service applications, and maybe also working on non-copyleft uh, frameworks and libraries and so forth. Or um, you know, because or, or are we seeing a, a use of GPL where we would expect to see AGPL by now? If we, you know, turn back the clock and well, I actually don't see that. It is in terms of web services, I don't see that much GPL adoption these days. Yeah, that, that's but, that collapse. But, yeah, that that's that collapse. But the, uh, I think that um, I, I think I, I ended up. I think that um, I'm trying to understand full the scope of the question. Are you asking that one of the reasons why AGPL isn't being adopted because there's a lack of momentum, or because, or is it because of Perceived issues in the license, or is it because of uh, community? Well, so so the, I mean, where we we kind of conflated this issue of non-adoption of AGPL with the this notion that copyleft itself is in decline, uh, particularly among uh, web developers, developers of sort of cloud-oriented right. projects, and 
are those? I mean, I think those two are somewhat. They're, they're I think somewhat it's, it's reasonable we conflated them because I think they're somehow related. I, I can't yeah. put my finger on exactly how they are, but I think it's related. Well, I think so. That, so, I, so I think I think it has to do with a couple of things. Well, one yeah. just that uh, one just that there isn't a lot of momentum right now behind HGPL adoption, um, but two also because I, I think as you said, I, I think that. Uh, um, more stuff is just being developed as in terms of web services right now than any other type of software. And so we're not seeing a large uptick in GPL software either, probably because I think most software that's being written is being is moving towards this direction. Um, uh, well, certainly things that companies contribute to. Yeah, right? yeah these and things that, that companies and, contribute and this to. Is, that, this, that's is, this is a slightly off topic, but sort of related to the point of your fundraising, how you got your project funded. Um, free software used to be written primarily by volunteers. If you go back 15 years, 20 years, that's how all of it, almost all of it was written. Yeah, now it's funded by most com I mean, by, companies. By companies and, and developers, yeah, individual those, developers. Yes, it used to be the case. Corporations. Right, yes. but it used to be the case that developers would write proprietary software during the day and come home and, and give back to free software projects and write free software on their nights and weekends. Right. I think a lot of developers have an I gave at the office, somewhat reasonably so, kind of mentality. All my code at work was released as free software. Why should I go home and write more volunteer work? And I think that's related because... I think it's important to put that in context. I think, at least in the US, and I can only really speak to that, like, people work longer hours for less money, and so to go home and do more free work, it's just, it's harder and harder for people to carve out. I don't think it's like a flagging interest in giving back to the community. I think it's just like you have a finite number of hours in the day. And you know, like not everyone has the option to carve out enough volunteer time to give to the projects that they feel more strongly about well, than whatever they do at work. Well the United Way says you know if everybody gave two percent of their income or time to the the causes they care about they would change the world would change and completely. And I think it's true. So no, we have somebody uh, that's somebody hand on that the time organizer. Yeah. Uh, Please thank you very much. I have one question. Do you have any statistics on the difference between the GPL3 adoption and the AGPL3 adoption? So I know, I know. hypothesis about the difference, but do you have some statistics about it? When I looked at Fedora, I think it was Fedora 16, um, it, Fedora 16 official packages, so it's about 18,000 packages, was about like 11% GPLv3 from what I recall, and maybe like 1% or less AGPL. And in fact, some of that was um, Gluster, and Gluster changed its license uh, before Red Hat acquired it. But I think a big part of it is it's clear, the distribution piece of it is very, very clear in um, GPL, you know, across GPL v2 and v3. So it, again, it's a clear delineation. You, if you're giving someone software, you sort of know when the license is triggered. Right. I think that's another piece too that's a little bit, that, that is new under AGPL. Ah, but you my, I, mean? uh, I, mean, I, understand, I understand what you're saying, yes. but my argument would be that, yeah. the, that this section, it links to the derivative work issue more than it links to the distribution issue. And therefore, it's as, it's as confusing, in some sense, as derivative work. We're having constant arguments about that, too. Right, we're having, because it's modify, which is creating a yes. derivative work, preparing right. and creating but, derivative but the, works. The, the piece about when yeah. is it triggered, and what is, it, what is that, you know, th those are the, those and right, and my the questions, all the questions that get around Section 13. But those, indeed it is, of yes. course, yes. but, the, but the, the questions only come up because their goal is not to give upstream, right? So right. they want to know well, when sometimes. they don't have to give upstream. I mean, but sometimes, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just, you know, internally they need to understand what it is so that they can, you know, Oftentimes I'm dealing with corporate legal departments, right? So they need to understand what it is so they can kind of check the box. But you made a good point earlier, which I want to go back to, um, Bradley, which is in the GPLv2, the whole 
I think the distribution thing and that we've been living with it for so long, I think is incredibly helpful here. So a lot of, and I know GPLv3 modified and changed certain things in GPLv2, clearly it did. However, I think by and large, we've got a lot of comfort around that license. And, and again, you're right about the, I, I agree with you too. But we don't have use, But most of the use I see with a GPLv2 is, it, V3 is, is this nefarious use. But well. my, right, so so right. we're, until uh, we have, you know, some use out there, until we have consistency, right. use, then we're going to, I think, then get some comfort around well, but there's, there's a stack is issues that get conflated there because yeah. because there's there's the issue that the derivative works question is still a, a hotly debated in the GPL regular GPL space yeah. and then we're using this new clause as linked to that rather oh, than yeah. distribution yeah. a and then b there's the adoption question I think you're completely right about then c there's the nefarious use as, as we're yeah. calling it so, yeah. all so, of so these come together to sort of to conspire the problem by so uh, so, so, so you've already so, commented so, a few so, times already. So, <laughs> Bradley, is there? Do you think that there's um, an argument that there's a special problem with AGPL in terms of determining the scope of how much source code you have to provide because there isn't that uh, you you don't have this binary that you can then work backwards from? Because I think that's maybe some of what the, the the kind of commercial resistance that Eileen encounters and that I've encountered a little bit. That, that some of that is based on that. I know. Even apart from the nefarious business models, I think some of it is the concern about this language about modify, what does that mean, and section thir 13. I think some of it is like, that you know, how do you figure out the scope issue um, if there's nothing distributed? Is that a, is right. that a fundamental problem with I, AGPL, I, or is it something that's solvable? I, I don't. I don't think it's a fundamental problem with AGPL. I think the 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 details are more complicated for most people. Um, because they're they're different. Because it's basically a different type of deployment in some sense. Um, so 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 we already have trouble people agreeing what is the binary and what is the the, the corresponding source of the binary. That's what most GPL violators uh, fail on and and fight on. Um, so in the in the, 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 the there is a wrinkle added with the Afero clause because now you have to decide what is the what is the work that was you know presented to the user. Uh, for example. Um, it, it, uh, <laughs> You know, I, now everybody's going to run and not want to use the Affair GPL. I'm pretty sure that if you're using Mod Python, that uh, your Python program is probably a derivative work of Mod Python, which means you have to ship the the, the complete and corresponding source of the Affair GPL program includes the Mod Python code. Um, I think that's probably true. Chris, do you agree with that? So, well, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if I want to touch that one. But <laughs> I, I think that I think that actually though that there is a related thing where. Um, so we're talking about adoption and also um, it's interesting that right now we're talking about both adoption and concerns and, and, and Eileen, you're mostly talking about concerns from a business point of view and there's also been concerns sometimes that are raised within uh, uh, the, the community point of view, like for example in, 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 in uh, the media development community and I think there's two things. Uh, one, um, there are some, some, some things that like I'd love to have more clarification on. For example, um, Media Goblin, I think our community would, for the most part, not like to have to worry about people releasing uh, templates and theming under the, under the same type of conditions as they have normally under the AGPL. Because if a company wants to come and run their own a a Media Goblin instance and they want to just make it look like the rest of their site, we're like, fine. You know, like we, we really don't care about that licensing aspect of things. Um, and because um, and at one point we were trying to look to see whether or not that there was an exception that we could end up having, yeah. which was about uh, whether or not we could just say, okay, well, except everything in the exceptions is, is totally, you don't have to worry about it. But the problem that we ran into there was 
you could possibly end up generating a loophole where you could say, well, you could end up inserting a Python function into the context and then execute arbitrary code and by that method end up using the template as yeah. a way to get around copyleft. And so like, this is a tricky thing and I'd actually like to find a way that we could resolve both of those without having some sort of loophole, but I'm actually not sure that, but I actually think that um, there's, as in terms of the adoption issue, there's only, I think that the only way to solve the adoption issue is to both simultaneously get a bunch of people excited in writing these types of applications yeah, and then try to end up looking at whether the concerns of developers who end up adopting it at that time. But how do you do it? So I, this is, I think, what I wanted to ask before, but I forgot. <laughs> is that, has there been just a cultural change among developers? Uh, <laughs> do we want to get the question? There's hands up over here. That oh, yes. Sorry. 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 Moderate Guy in the back who's, who's had his hand up for a while. Um, my issue with modification is that I don't think the problem is that. Uh, Speak up just a little bit. Uh, okay, uh, if, you, if I modify the thing, I'm willing to share the source code, but my problem with a lot of HTTL programs is that there's no built-in functionality to share the source code. Oh, that's, that's a wonderful comment. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I had this idea of creating what I was calling libafero-gpl for various languages, which would basically, and, and you could do things like introspection to build this, right? Uh, and it would basically, if you, would, if you include this library, it would always make sure there's the source package on the website. And this is actually, it, it's, it's not like NP-complete to solve, right? It's not such a hard problem. It's really a lot of grunt work and, and complexity. But in part because of the adoption issue, it's hard to sort of get the momentum behind, let's make a library that automatically complies. Because Evan and I, th I think we talked about this at one point about for StatusNet. There really should be this thing that, 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 that Chris could link against, right? And GNU Media Goblin would always be in compliance. Because a lot of complaints I've heard about a fair GPL is accidental out of compliance. And it's actually, I admit, it's easier to get accidentally out of compliance on a Faro GPL than it is under GPL. And so I'd love to have this library that sort of takes care of some of those compliance issues for you. But somebody's got to write that. So was this the idea you had a long time ago about Fedora packaging? Yeah, it was from it was from Tom Calloway's comments. Is Tom in the room? Um, guess not. So, but he, he had those comments about how do you stay in compliance with AGPL, and I thought they, this should be an automated way to do it. But you also had an idea for uh, how Fedora should adopt a packaging rule for AGPL packages. Yeah, that, there was, that was rejected. But, but actually, it was, yeah, it was part. It was it, there was part and parcel. It's, it's it's I don't want to get into the details, okay. but but it was the same kind of solution. Oh, so, the guy in the front was had his hand for a yeah. while. Sorry. Okay. Um, you talk about 8GPL and people who add condition, additional conditions on it. I thought the license said explicitly that if you receive software that yep. says it's only 8GPL and the parents say, oh, I must do this, then the user can just like, oh, no, I'm not going to do this because yep. the 8GPL say a lot. True, yes, true in yes. theory, but, not, but it's difficult in practice because what if, we, as we just had here, a disagreement? We have a, a legitimate right. disagreement here. One person saying, no, it's not an additional restriction, and the other person saying, yes, it is. So, and that's complicated. So, so let me explain this. In GPLv3, Richard Stallman came up with an interesting idea of because he was aware of this problem under the GPL. People would put no military use allowed or no commercial use allowed on top of the GPL. So Stallman said, why don't we add a clause that says, if someone puts an unauthorized additional restriction on the program, you can just remove it. Well, no one's actually really done this because well, they're no, they too, have in those, in those cases, right? In those, there's no military use because because everybody sort of has consensus it contradicts. Um, but I still, in a I case think, where I think it's a software, borderline, that software is just avoided. I think people yeah. are afraid to, understandably afraid to just take cross out 
a condition that the license are added. You know, we don't. We could do that with Bruno's software, uh, uh, and Bruno, this is not licensed to speak anymore. But, but, but um, we could do that with Bruno's software, but we won't. But my, we won't but do my it. point is, my, my point is, I'm actually, Bruno, I'm on your side on this one. My point is that Bruno disagrees with you. Bruno's saying it's not an additional restriction, and you're saying that it is, and only a court would decide if you have Red Hat and this company sued each other or something, right? So, so that's the issue: is that is that if if we have a, a legitimate disagreement of what is an additional restriction. It's really complicated, and, that, and that's one of the reasons that hasn't been exercised. Very it's, much. But it's not in his case. It's not even a, a, a legitimate. There's no legitimate argument that, that that's authorized under Section Seven. Of, yeah, Ali, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got more questions that, on this side as well. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, go ahead. Me? Yes. Uh, so, uh, first generation of copyleft. Uh, Evan, Evan, you should say who you are. Because oh, my name's Evan Pedromo. Uh, oh. I uh, created software called StatusNet, which is HTML. Uh, license, it runs uh, Identica, which many of you may use. Um, first generation of copyleft uh, software, uh, we were holding kind of the crown jewels of the Unix world, right? So uh, Bash, GCC, Emacs, eventually the Linux kernel. Um, we don't right now, right? So especially in the world of web publishing, I think those crown jewels might be WordPress, Drupal, um, I will say very humbly that it is not StatusNet. Um, to what extent do you think that a lack of AGPL adoption is just that we haven't written the absolutely necessary software that nobody can do without? Uh, I think that that's a great point. I think that's a really an excellent point. I think you might be onto something there because you're right. I think something like that would then drive that, that um, in some ways, get other folks on board who and they would have to get their heads around it and get comfortable with it. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, I think yeah. I definitely agree that yeah. I think that that's one of the, the main thing that we're lacking as in terms of that is, uh, um, I mean, again, it comes back to the, uh, um, you know, everybody's releasing stuff except for their secret sauce thing is that we have a lot of corporations and a lot of companies and a lot of developers participating in releasing really cool stuff, but, but we don't have, and but we don't see a lot of applications. I actually think that if we did, going back to the Fedora comment about how much how much a percentage of, um, do we see AGPL in Fedora, but how much also do we see percentage in AGPL of end, like end product web application projects, like yeah. actual web applications. And we just don't see very much yeah. of it. I, I, and if it, in, you know, Emacs itself, would not have been a, uh, like uh, like yeah, I yeah. and I, I think Evan Evan you you, you touched on a very cultural point. I, I look at somebody like myself who is obsessed somewhat with this issue, and I believe in web service freedom. But the, when I look at the, I don't get to code very much. But when I look at the list of things I want to do, I've got like seven patches for Bash I want to write. Yeah. Right, and because I, I use Bash all day, I don't use many web services because I'm an old school command line Unix jockey geek, right? And so there's a cultural mismatch that I think the copyleft and the old school Unix type overlap a lot, and so they're less likely to write these applications. That's why we need people like you and Chris to do it, who actually get this web stuff. Because I'm like a luddite. There's a person in the back who's had his hand up. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I had a, just wondering your thoughts on structural questions um, related web services. Um, when you consider, you know, the structure and scale it kind of takes to get uh, the amount of hardware to get something like a Twitter scale uh, end user application off the ground, it suggests venture capitalism funding. Um, and I, I doubt VCs generally approve of the AGPL, particularly given the secret sauce argument, how new it is, and that seems to prevent, you know, 
further basic application. I'm, I'm dying to just ask Evan to answer this question. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he's the expert on the room on the issue. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have raised venture capital uh, based on an AGPL uh, a project that is similar to Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I can just say really quickly, there have been lots of commercial uh, projects that have uh, done well with AGPL. And, uh, and, and not only that, you raised it and you still, you, you stayed pure AGPL and you bound yourself by AGPL in the sense that you accepted patches from third parties. Yes, I did. You, <laughs> you regret that decision though, you said. Huh? Did you, you, do, do you regret that decision? Uh, 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 that is a discussion for another time. Okay. I think that the does have, from a commercial standpoint, because of the nefarious use from the sugar CRMs of the world uh, that are using AGPL, um, it's not impossible to, to, to get funding for it. But, I, but I, I still think that it's also, um, I, I guess there's another flip side of that too, which is also that, um, it's also hard to build web applications that are both designed to scale up to the moon and also kind of down and in the middle. That's actually maybe, that's also a completely different kind of discussion, so I'll shut my mouth. Well, part of uh, development's become harder than it used to be as far as what you have to get done to make something innovative. Right. The, uh, person in the black and white uh, sort of checkered shirt. Uh, so I, I would just like to try to add to Evan's argument that maybe adoption is also limited by the fact that most uh, web applications that are built and are either a license or free software are not actually decentralized. So yeah. maybe the developers actually, yeah, of course, subconsciously or yeah, uh, outright, they can say that, okay, it doesn't really matter because what matters is a network effect. So in the end, we'll have to run a central site anyway. And uh, the other issue I would like to also uh, mention is that, uh, yeah, with the binary, you can basically verify that you have the source and I mean it's not easy but it was we should, it's soft topic but we should talk about it it's not as easy as you think uh, oh th that's actually, actually I'm in that field so uh, okay. I'm aware of the restrictions yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's that's an issue I wanted to, to actually raise um, actually with Bradley uh, or, or Chris um, how would you how would you determine compliance with the AGPL Oh well, Bradley and I are probably very different on this. I'm like lazy compliance, like uh, like like, but I'm not taking the legal route entirely. What what I mean, as in terms of our project, what I really care about is that somebody demonstrates that they've pushed out their source for their project and that they've made it available and that the community can take it and and bring it back to that. Now, I think part of the issue is making that really like having a really clear like I mean like the the version the the way that we have it resolved the Media Goblin is there's a source link that links back to the Media Goblin main repository, and if you've changed and you have a branch, you're supposed to change the, an argument in the config file so that you actually point to where you currently have your code pushed up. Yeah. That's a really lazy way to do it. Um, the, uh, there's, you know, you've talked about you know, your, the, the full-on library, which I think would be a great solution if we had it. It also doesn't really help with the argument that, oh, AGPL adoption well, is I mean, that hard. Making but, things but, but see, my argument would be actually very similar to what I said on the panel this morning, that, that, um, that if your goal is to find the minimal compliance, if your goal is to say, what do I minimally have to do to comply with the, with the affair of GP, AGPL, probably it's hard as it's hard with GPL. But if your goal is, I want to make everything available, and my goal is to be a free software developer and share all my code, <laughs> Compliance but, is relatively easy. Now, I've, I've said a couple of problems what we have uh, with a fair GPL. I, I just wanted to that, interrupt. The, uh, what I meant actually was how do you detect a violation? No. 
Well, that's that's all. That's always difficult if somebody's trying. It's again the, the answer isn't I gave this more, morning. Isn't it more difficult with AGPL? And could that be a factor in limiting uptake? Well, I see. I I I always complain when people opine about compliance who've never done enforcement because the only things I know about compliance come from years of enforcement experience, and it really informs it. So I, I've never done a fair AGPL enforcement, so I don't feel qualified to answer. I, I Devin has, I think. You've yeah. done some AGPL. How did you find out about that violator in China? We've done a couple of uh, a, a couple of enforcement efforts, and uh, you know, largely it's it's visible through the behavior of the of the service. So what people spend time on. Uh, that said, there may have been thousands of violators that I don't know about because they they made changes, say, to a very back end process that's invisible to the user. I, I, think, I think he wants to tell us we didn't answer his question because I don't think we did. Yeah. So actually, I didn't finish my uh, argument okay. and okay. close the question. <laughs> okay. uh, so yeah, uh, with regard to stuff like Gmail, it's, uh, I, I would say that this search isn't really useful uh, even if we had it. It's something that's pretty massive, nobody can run it on themselves. It's useful to know how it works, but that could even just be done by a pyramid by this, that describes how it works. So uh, keeping that in mind, uh, my question would be like, is the, the ADPL the right tool uh, for, the, for this issue? Uh, isn't it more of a technical issue uh, than a licensing, something that can be solved with uh, licensing? Yeah. So I think that this is, I think that there, this is actually a really important point. And it's like, it's one of those things where like, where you're right, it's not just, the licensing isn't gonna magically fix these problems. Um, and like one of the big things, and I mean, I guess, you know, we keep pointing to Evan in the audience. You know, the, the main innovator in the audience along the lines of this is Evan trying to help figure out, you know, how do we get actual federation working? Um, federation, I think, is a big part of solving this. If it were federation and deployment, actually, because if it were easy enough, and I will say if it was as easy, not to say it's easy, as installing a package on on your Debian machine, like you know, like if you're if you're um, like to install a pa uh, to install Media Goblin or another web application, if it were that easy, and you had federation, we could solve a lot of this problem because a lot of the things is it's really hard to install and maintain web applications. Like you install them, yeah. they like you know you've got to deal with net migrations, yeah. you've got to do all this. It's a pain in the ass. So, so I, I would say that, that the the to, to say it in, in a science way, the, the Faro GPL is a necessary but not sufficient condition for network services freedom. You need a license that protects the freedom of the network service, but we need a lot more than that. And you're right to raise federation, you're right to raise distributed environments, but those are very difficult computer science problems to solve, so we have to do that too. Uh, I would just point out very quickly that, uh, so if you actually have a distributed system where everyone is actually running it on their servers, then the DPL might just be enough. Right, but the, the uh, thing is you need both together. That was my point. You need you need a well, distributed environment. So, oh, I see what you're saying. I, that's an interesting point. I, think, I have to think about that. I think we have time for just one Probably more, one more question. question. Zach. So, Gordon made the point, the cultural point, that essentially we free software geeks are more using like a local standalone application on our machine than web services. So we have less interest in solving kind of same kind of problem on the web. But we do have today a lot of people developing web apps. I think today, developing stuff for the web is the way a lot of people start developing. Mm -hmm. So yes. what worries me, and it's an open question I think for, for you and the panel, is that why the free software arguments that were, that were very powerful for us as standalone developers are not as powerful for the today's generation of web development? 
Yeah. It's kind of a straw man. I mean, it's not. It, no, 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 no. I tell you, these kids, kids today. But they're growing up. Part of the thing is we've, we've, we've certain, in a certain sense, failed to engage, and we failed to engage for a long time. Yeah. For a long time, free software was like, it's that person's computer. It doesn't really matter what's running on that server. It's their computer. This isn't a huge issue. But it does matter, and now we're being forced to acknowledge it's ma it, it really matters, and we're late to the game. So what we really need to do now is get involved in those communities and have a presence and actually start pushing things forward. Because I think that, I think that yeah, it's not enough. I mean... But if you look at what a lot of the developers are doing too, I mean, when, the point I think you, well, I can't remember which one of you made it on the prep call, but again, they're they're working on projects that are more patchy, more permissive style licensing. And again, I, we got to take a step back from that and see why that is. But we are seeing that significant trend for the younger generation of developers as well. And sort of part of it is these projects are coming out under these licenses, these new hot projects. And, and it's part. I mean, and it's, it has both to do with it's easy on your job to be able to contribute to something that was that's, what you were that's saying um, as well. and yes. the other thing is is that when you end up developing an application you know when i came into developing and, and picking up the agpl i only knew so much about the agpl i knew enough about the agpl to have the general idea behind it i didn't think about templating issues at that time but you know like the 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 and and you know i and, and i keep pointing to F, uh, to Evan, Evan, you know, was one of my heroes. You know, one of the reasons I adopted the AGPL is because, you know, somebody else was doing something and I looked up to them. Who are developers looking up to today? They're looking up to the Rails developers, they're looking up yeah, to the are. Django developers, and those people have an anti-copyleft stance. And when your heroes end up taking some sort of, uh, taking some sort of stance, it's, you know... You the, tend to the, follow. You, you tend to follow. And it's not because people are malicious. No. It's because, it's because we haven't done a good enough job creating a role model that explains why these well, things and, matter. And when you look at, you look at our, 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 the leader of, of the copyleft world, Richard Stallman, he did it in, in two ways. He, he had a moral position that he was trying to push forward, but he wrote a, a lot of code. Exactly. Right. At the same time, that, and the code yes. that everybody wanted to exactly. use and couldn't think, live without. Which I think to, was to Evan's point, because yeah. again, it was that cultural thing. And so, Deb had a question in the front. Uh, yeah, Deb, uh, and I think, I think after Deb's question, we're out of uh, time. This is going to a short comment on the like uh, adoption <coughs> process. I think another thing that's different besides age is that if you're writing something to be part of a distribution, then you're part of that team, and you don't want to be the jerk that's like, I chose a different license than the rest of the team. But on the web, it's like a bazillion teams. So you don't, you're just like an individual person. And then you have the burden of sorting through a bunch of legalese, which most people don't like to do. So if everyone's doing their own legal, and they don't, and they don't feel like they're part of a team that's made that decision for them, I think it makes it more difficult to choose. So, so I think we need Team AGPL. I mean, the same way that we have, the same way that we have, um, that that the reason why GPL v two was so strongly adopted was because we had basically Team GPL v two, which was just people were doing that because they looked up to various people who are on the desktop. We need to have, you know, Team AGPL. And but Jeff's got a good point, because yeah. I think even lawyers get con are, are confused, and we have to go grapple back and forth with language. So, I mean, you raise a good point, Doug. I think you're right. But lawyers would learn to live with it if there was code that they absolutely you're right. couldn't live without. Just like GPL v We are being well, kicked out of the room, so we are out okay. <laughs> Thank you.
So I thought that Fontana was a really good moderator. I, I think he did a reasonably good job. Uh, he probably should have not kept referencing that audience member. And yeah, I, I, towards the end of the panel, folks will notice, I, I felt like I had to defend that side of his point somewhat because he was getting such a hard time that we kept going back to him and referencing his company and so forth. Uh, so I, I didn't like that I had to actually defend because I'm against the, the business model as well of proprietary relicensing, but mm-hmm. we had to keep going back to it because Fontana wanted to engage him on that point, I, I guess, to sort of show that they're, that, what the problem was I, I don't know it, it was it was not uh, I, that part of it was not very good I thought but the rest of it I think was good well it's I didn't really re- I, I I remembered that when I left but it, it it actually didn't seem like as big of a deal as you had described it when I was listening to it again oh okay well I, I felt it was uh, I, I didn't feel like it was the it was it was it, there was not there was not enough moderation huh um, oh, I see what you. I'm sorry. Yeah, because <laughs> it's uh, kind of late here. <laughs> yeah, well, F- Fontana was engaging with him, and, and I actually think I actually think there's some sort of backstory there. It seemed to me like there was a Red Hat dispute with that company that was part of the backstory. That was oh, my. Oh, I wonder. From, yeah, I wondered about it too. He didn't. Ta- I don't know anything from Fontana <laughs> about it, but I think there was something there. Uh, maybe they were a customer of that company or something like that. We should ask Richard Fontana. He wouldn't tell me anything. <laughs> I, already asked him I should hope not. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, that's what it felt like to me from that from that engagement. So, so I I, I think uh, I mean the, the key thing that that I wanted people to hear was was what Chris Weber had to say because I, I feel like the thing and that's why I said in the panel that 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 he's he's a hero to me because he's trying to write these applications that use a Faro GPL and try to treat users well, and he's one of the very few developers who's working in that. Uh, in that way, as a community project trying to create um, online applications that are free software and hopefully federated, although that's a tougher problem to solve, as we talked about. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the. I mean, that's the biggest challenge we always have with free software. Actually, is is building alternatives. I mean, it's so frustrating, you know, to be an advocate for free software where there are areas where we just don't have great alternatives. It's just just really tough to, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just really tough to to be an advocate when there's nothing that you can point to. And, you know, I think you and I agree that a little inconvenience is worth what, you know, is worth it for free software. But it's tough to get other people who are not already involved with the cause to see that. It's that give me convenience or give me death issue that I'm always talking about from that uh, title of that Dead Kennedys album. People are much, w- very much willing to give up uh, lots of things just for a little bit of convenience. And, and that's, that really troubles me because it, it means that there's this interest. And, and that's, and that's the, the danger of things like Facebook because they've reached so many people. And it is proprietary software. And this is the interesting thing is that the, the, the issues of, of online services are more complicated as far as free and proprietary software. I even said on the panel that, that um, Stallman and I, did have, that we're actually, it's funny because here these months later, Stallman's actually working on another essay about this topic. And he and I have been in a discussion about it. Oh, you it. and your colleague, Richard Stallman? Yes, Richard Stallman. Um, <laughs> why do you say it like that? <laughs> no, just because you, you said in the, on the panel, you said, 
um, you refer to <laughs> you refer to RMS as is quote my colleague Richard Stallman quote unquote as if or unquote as if people wouldn't know who he was. No, I just wanted to make it clear that that uh, that I'm on the FSF board and uh, and therefore he's my colleague. That's that, I mean, that's that's to pump myself up, obviously. Not to say that not to say that they wouldn't know who he was, but that that you know he's a guy that just as is happening right now emails me and sends me. We talked about this on the podcast uh, a couple episodes ago that that he does send his essays around before he publishes them and asks for feedback. And on this um, network services essay, he sent it to me and Mako and Chris Weber and a bunch of other people. Um, who have worked on the net services issue, and when we're discussing the, the the nuances of net service issues, but the thing that we always agree on, it's just, I see it as kind of a shortcut, which is that most of these network services deliver to the browser, and most of the JavaScript is all proprietary software. In fact, nearly all the JavaScript is proprietary in, in all the usual senses of proprietariness. So it, it's kind of funny because because it, people talk about oh, it's a different issue with network services, which uh, RMS himself says. But mm -hmm. when it's proprietary JavaScript, it's the same issue. It's software being distributed to your computer and installed on your computer that's proprietary. It's the same as saying apt-get install something proprietary. There's no discernible difference. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But I would say that even if you weren't on the FSF board, you could refer to him as your colleague. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so that's... Um, and I would actually, you know, in my view, I think... I think Skype is a bit more of a pervasive, insidious piece of proprietary software. More so than Facebook, because there's a lot more, more people so on than Facebook, Facebook than using Skype. I, I the nature of the software is such that I it I just feel like it's it's even more insidious. I mean, I don't know. Facebook is pretty insidious in a lot of different ways, but. Its nature feels a little. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the funny, got, it's, it's funny that, that this comes up. Right? To it, point, sorry. sorry. Well, well, there is a delay here, which which we which uh, we just uh, showed. But uh, it's okay. it is funny that this comes up at a moment when we're doing the recording this way because we're talking to the, the we're each recording locally to get a good audio quality for for Dan to do the editing. Uh, but we're talking to each other over a fully encrypted uh, link from. Here in Brooklyn, New York, all the way to to uh, where are you in Tokyo now? I'm in Tokyo. Right. So so we we've got a setup that I, all it did was basically an app to get install asterisk a few additions to uh, app get install open VPN configuration of open VPN uh, a brief configuration of asterisk and then here Karen and I are talking to each other uh, using SIP uh, across a fully encrypted open VPN. So so while while it did require a server in the middle that we had to set up. Um, this is not that it's not that hard, uh, and and I've I've written blog posts about this that how it really isn't that hard to encrypt to to do encrypted end-to-end -end phone calls, um, and there's really nobody working on it um, to to help people to do it, and it's kind of unfortunate, but uh, but but people want that convenience of oh I just installed the proprietary Microsoft Skype client, and now mm -hmm. I can talk to people, and so I see what you're yeah, saying about I that. Guess I think the thing that upsets me about okay, so I think I think a couple of things. I think that I think that first of all, there are free alternatives to Facebook for some of its functionality. Um, so there are things I can point to to say don't use this, to use that. The other thing is that it's it's you know sort of um, while people kind of get hooked on fa on Facebook, Skype is something that people are just really unwilling to live without. 
Um, and what drives me nuts about it is that I feel like you and I are the only two people in the world sometimes who refuse to use it, which I know isn't true. Um, but it's like, it astounds well, me. There, there's times. notably RMS, uh, who actually has a, RMS had, oh, did yeah, not have a dot .sig file for years. And he <laughs> reinstituted a dot .sig file, like as long as I've known him, since 97. He didn't have a dot .sig file in his emails. And he recently, though not recently, but in the last two years for me, it's recently added a dot .sig file to raise the Skype issue. He added the SIG file that said, Skype, no way, I can't be reached by it. Um, yeah, but also, Stellman can't readily be reached by phone anyway. Um, well, I mean, if you just look at the trip file, you can call somebody who he's staying with. Um, but the point is, he, he has a URL there that explains why Skype's bad. Uh, it, but it was important enough of an issue that he felt to add a .sig file, which he didn't have for years and years, to raise this issue about Skype. I think because he noticed people were putting their Skype ID in their SIG files uh, and, and felt yep. that that was something he needed to, to spread. So there's at least three of us, Karen. Right. But you, that's exactly my point. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, and, it, and it, again, it is the traditional proprietary software issue in the sense that, that it actually you have to install a proprietary software client on your computer to be able to use it by design yep. because it's doing all sorts of things that, that nobody knows what it's really doing. Yep. I mean, I just, well, anyway, the whole point of me bringing this up was to just agree with you because I think that building these alternatives is probably the most important work that one can do for free software right now. Yeah, well, I mean, but, and then we're also, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's, a, it's a sad story right now because we're losing ground. Uh, you know, you're still fighting oh, yes. the, the, the battle of the desktop, which we're, we're uh, I hope you won't be upset to me, me to say we're kind of losing mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in various ways. And, and we've been fighting that for for a decade and, and a quarter or so and it, it's all still going on and and we're still losing ground and and this is why i when, when i give my talk uh, i we have a talk recording maybe we'll use it at some point for my talk able on scale on the same issue about the affair gpl and so forth um which was uh which is actually before it turned out uh, that fosdem uh uh happened um or no it was after i guess it was oh it was after this year because because uh, scale was in february instead of january like it usually is um so my scale talk, I talk about how we're going into the dark ages of software freedom. That's the next couple of decades, I think, are going to be really dark. I feel like we're back in the 80s where most of what people want to do is proprietary. because It's not proprietary in the same way it was in the 80s. Uh, it's, not, it's not binary operating systems on your computer. Most of the operating systems are free software, but all the applications everyone wants to use are proprietary web services with with JavaScript, proprietary JavaScript being shipped to your computer or their Skype, right? So so I, I the, the most applications that people want to use every day, that the average person wants to use are all proprietary. That's funny because I'm so full of optimism right now having come to Tokyo from uh, the GNOME Asia Summit. <laughs> um, just because it was, it was such an optimistic event. Um, and uh, really re-energizing. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah, well, GNOME events are always that way. I've been to Guadalajara a few times, and, and I, I do find GNOME events that kind of, they're some of the best conferences we have in free software for that reason. But there's, it's kind of, it's all, you also have to consider that it's kind of a bubble. It's a group of people that are very enthusiastic, but it's such a small group uh, compared to the onslaught of what's happening. 
No, I don't, I don't disagree, but um, but I'm I'm not feeling it right now. The doom and gloom. I'm sure I will, and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I will. I, when I, I didn't when mean I, to bring it back to you, but uh, when I sit through the Linux Con Japan <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> no, I bet I'll stay optimistic through that, and then when I you know when I get home. But yeah. uh, well, it's, it's funny because you know? I've argued with with Jim Zemlin about this. Is is he? He loves to talk about how open source is the default, and that's one you'll probably hear him say it in his keynote tomorrow. Um, and the thing is, is that he's looking at a very, and I've, I've told him this, so I don't mind saying it publicly, he's looking at a very narrow uh, span, which is, the, which is just the, the operating system. Because in the application space, open source is not the default. Um, it, it's a proprietary software. It's not even an open source versus free software issue. It's, it's proprietary is the default for applications. And, it's, and, and that's, that's been true for a very long time, and it's gotten worse, uh, not better, uh, in, the last, uh, in the last few years. Um, and this is what I always used to complain about when people used to get excited when, say, Oracle ported to GNU Linux systems, that this was something good, this was a great outcome, it means we've made it as an operating system. That was my always worry was that GNU Linux would become a platform for proprietary software, which it has. On the server side, on the, the whole DevOps world where people are deploying these proprietary applications using GNU Linux systems, it's become a platform for delivery of proprietary software. It's very depressing. Yeah, well, it's uh, it just means we have work to do. I mean, this this is what I've, I've talked about. I talked about this. Well, nice. it, we always have work to do. It's I just... I guess now I'm more doom and gloom and less optimism all of a sudden. But I'm sorry, um, I, I, I really sort of beat you into it. I apologize. Well, it's, I mean, you know, truth be told, I think part of it is that I'm coming down with a cold and it's getting very late at night in <laughs> in my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's very easy to be brought down. Well, Karen, tomorrow um, is another day. <laughs> um, but I've um, always hated but, that phrase. Is it is it ridiculous? I should, I don't know if I should admit, admit this. But I'll admit it. I'll admit it. That I actually was at a, at a shrine today, and um, and I wrote a little prayer down for free software. Well, it, listeners already know I'm an atheist, so that's uh, I don't I don't <laughs> think that's actually going to help. Uh, but well, I, I thought I thought that where you're going when you mentioned a shrine was was how how be, being there in Tokyo and and seeing uh, if you saw some some older structures there there is a I think I think in I haven't been to Asia before but I think throughout Asia there's a sense of of longevity there's there's a there's a respect for older things uh, and and the the time of the millennia going by is a more important issue than I think people in the U.S. and and I think about free software as something that's a multi generational task and therefore the sense to which I'm optimistic is that I, I don't think that the free software movement's going to disappear I just think that it has a lot more work to do and it's going to take many generations to succeed. Yeah, that's not, I mean, the longevity of it wasn't where I was going with it. It was the sort of like the seriousness and the somberness of really and, and you know, and earnestness, which I, I, I feel about free, about free software. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, it's going to take time, but I feel like we're in such a critical time right now. Like, oh, I, I, feel, I, I don't believe there I are feel, critical times. I don't really believe I feel in critical like times. I feel like the ground that we lose is is just going to have such so much greater you know repercussions um, because of all the infrastructure that we're building. Um, yeah, I mean, societally. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I understand what you're saying, but uh, but I, I, 
the um, this is this is why Faro GPL is important because because people writing new software under Faro GPL eventually somebody will write something that everybody wants to use. That that's what happened with the GNU project and and the Linux project. Uh, they both were, were were key components uh, that you needed to make an operating system work, and now we have it. And mm -hmm. it BSD. I mean, I'm sorry. To, uh, I guess I'll get angry emails from BSD people, but it succeeded and showed the software freedom is is important because the the most popular installs of BSD are are are, are Apple uh, systems that are proprietary. So it showed that that making your software under the BSD license makes it popular, um, but it doesn't make it free, and mm -hmm. doesn't give you the the four freedoms. And so and so we we won that battle. I think we we showed that you need copyleft that you need a focus on software freedom as part of your projects. I mean, even though Linux isn't a, a free software focused project, it's it, it, it's Linus has said the, the the best decision he ever made was choosing the GPL. So so he understands, even if he's not a free software person, that the copyleft was important and barred the license of the rest of the operating system to do that. Uh, and so we'll just have to build the copyleft for the web and we have to write all the software from scratch. Um, it's it's the same job again. Yeah, I mean, then there's the, you know, the, watching what's happening, you know, in the Android mark, you know, in the Android world as well. Um, I don't know. But on the operating system side, things are good in the Android space, uh, more or less. I mean, there's there's the there's the random the random GPL violator uh, out there uh, as far as uh, as far as there's a few community GPL violations in the, in the Android space that are annoying right now. But and they're and they're perennially always GPL well, violators. But there is an operating system community that, that does modified versions of the operating systems for these devices. The applications are all proprietary. That's yeah, but well, this is what I'm saying: is the applications are all proprietary, but also the fracturing of the market means that it it's difficult for any for for any Android market to to really approach the um, you know approach Apple because um, because of the lack of standardization, which is in part because of the fractured pr proprietarization of it. Yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know if I actually agree with that. I, I actually, mm. it, it's it's pretty much the case uh, because I've watched uh, I watched my wife do it, for example, install lots of proprietary apps on different Android devices, and they all basically work, uh, even though they're very different Android devices. So, I, I think that can well, be done. Some some apps do work on the different Android devices, but I I do know of app developers that don't bother developing for Android because it's so it's so much of a headache. Hmm. And they'd rather, um, they'd rather sell their soul to Apple to just have permission oh, yes. to put on their app store. Oh, absolutely. That is well, exactly what they yeah. want. It's, it is true that certainly the boutique uh, software development shop has been brought back by Apple iStore development, uh, which is kind of disturbing because I think people have a certain sense of liberation when they have their own small software company, and the small software company has kind of come back. But they're completely beholden to Apple, and I don't think they really understand that, that they could – that they live at the whim of Apple. It's like it's like having a um, it's it's like having a, a grant of land from the king or something like that. Where where you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm a powerful lord. I have this grant of land from the king, but the king can just decide to give it to somebody else. Um, That's funny. I think that the the uh, just I think circling back on uh, on Apple is bad is probably a good place to end this because we've been talking for a while and uh, we've already the um, the audio itself is quite long already okay 
All right, so um, so we'll, we'll wrap it up, and uh, we'll probably intersperse uh, other content with the Fosdom talk since we're so far behind now. It's uh, getting them slowly out; doesn't matter. And so, folks will, as they heard in the last episode um, or two episodes ago, wasn't a Fosdom talk. The last one was, um, and the next one probably won't be. So, hopefully, folks will have some diversity there. Hope you enjoy it. Reason Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Reason Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Reason Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Reason Freedom website, faith.us. That's f a i f.us. Your slide. Okay. Yeah, no, I yes. it. Okay. <laughs> I all other notes. The purpose of this is in case Bradley like forgets that there's actual text. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you saying there are these particular sections that might have proved troublesome in certain yeah. recounting of the chronologies? Or? No, no. I don't know if, if we'll get into that. But, but um, I mean, you can talk about often. You can talk about a license without. You know, talking about its text, and the classic example is the LGPL, where some people take the text more seriously than others. Are you starting now? No, we're just we have no starting like a minute. <laughs> this is our our pre-talk this is, this is, banter. This is for those of you that arrived early. You get to hear this wonderful, exciting banter <laughs> about the LGPL. It's it's bonus content. <laughs> Chair recognize the representative from the great state of the media government. <laughs>